0: Happy Monday, Liberty lovers. And before we get into today's episode, featuring a live stream I did with our good friend, Remzo W. Martinez, I wanted to remind you about the work we are doing with the amazing folks over at DonorSea who have put together an incredible series of projects to help people affected around the world, particularly the third world, the poorest countries on the planet who are being affected by coronavirus and by the lockdowns, by the inability to get supplies, hand sanitizer, face masks, even basic food and that sort of thing. People around the world are being affected by this in ways that you, you can't even imagine if you're someone who lives in the United States. And Lions of Liberty is doing its part by contributing 10% of our monthly donations from our patrons over at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. The fine folks who are members of the Lions of Liberty's pride who support this show and keep this thing funded, we are putting 10% of that money into helping Greg Lyer and Donor Seeds. So please do check out Donor Seed's projects over at donorseed.com slash coronavirus and be sure to get access to tons of extra audio con- and video content by heading over to our patreon at patreon.com lions of Liberty What's up, kitty cats? It is your hostess with the mostest here, and I am broadcasting uh, from an undisclosed location at the moment. That's not important, but what is important is what's coming up for the next week of Lions of Liberty. There is so much going on, I can't even handle it. We're hosting not one, but two Libertarian Party presidential debates. Uh, First one will be this coming Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. The second one will be this coming Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, and these will be two separate debates featuring two separate sets of six candidates. I'm going to break them down for you really, really quickly. The first debate will be hosted by myself and Brian McWilliams and will feature Serene Ardaleneu, Dan Taxation is Theft Bearman, Joe Jorgensen, Judge Jim Gray, Adam Kokesh, and Arvin Vora. Meanwhile, debate number two will feature Jacob Hornberger, John McAfee, John Mons, Sam Robb, Vermin Supreme, and Andy Williams Jr. Andy Williams was, of course, on Felony Friday a month or two ago, while Judge Jim Gray recently was on that program as well. Which reminds me that second debate will also be co-hosted by Felony Friday host John Odermatt. And I know what many of you are thinking, uh, where's Justin Amash? Didn't he just announce that he was running? Well, I am in contact with the Amash campaign Uh, I am trying to see if I can get him into one of these debates, but I am at at a very minimum going to be speaking with Justin Amash, most likely in some audio form next week. So stay tuned for that. Uh, We'll get to whatever we can. Of course, he is, uh, as you can imagine, bombarded with requests from all over the globe, but he has been on this program before I do have have a good relationship with his team. So uh, we will be bringing Justin Amash into the fold as well as soon as we can. Both of these debates will be live streamed on our Facebook page. So you're going to want to make sure you follow facebook.com slash lion. Of Liberty, I will likely upload the whole video uh, to YouTube uh, later down the road, and of course, they will both appear in this very podcast feed. So keep an eye out. We've got a lot going on. I've had a lot going on these last few weeks, uh, being locked down in Los Angeles, where I recorded a whole bunch of live streams with various podcast friends of mine. One of those is a conversation you're going to hear today from our good friend Remzo W. Martinez. Let's hear what he's got to say in the midst of all this COVID madness. All right, I am here live with a good friend, light stalker of the show, Remzo Martinez, social media coordinator from the Washington Times, and he's here for another lockdown live stream. Remzo, are you ready to roar?
1: Like inside, I am. Outside, I'm not feeling it, but I totally am on the inside. Not
0: exactly. Maybe we can parse down exactly what that means. Are you conflicted? Are you conflicted with by recent events? By
1: uh, you know some turns that society has taken as of late. I am I'm just so confused, and I I've been in one of those situations where okay, let let me tell you how my week was. I, I worked this week. I'm able to work from home. I woke up today the same around the same time I usually would, and I started working only to have several coworkers email me and say, "Why are you working today? It's your day off." So it's it's been uh it's been a quite perplexing. Time for me, as it has been everyone else, but you know, that's that's how things are going to be for the foreseeable future. So, as you know, disheveled, unshaven, tired as I may look, I'm excited to be here.
0: <laughs> it's, it's it's think it's safe to say that like time and days and things like that don't have much meaning anymore. I mean, I, there, I guess there are probably a number of people who are still working normal jobs in, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Right yeah, for me, it's uh, I'm, I've been at home and I'm still keeping myself to a schedule of some sort and making sure I am I have an agenda every day. So I'm not just falling into a drift of, you know, Netflix binging or getting lost or just losing my mind in general. Uh, so I've been mentally quite well, actually. But uh, it's more when I make the mistake of going on social media for a few minutes uh, that, you know, things don't get as cheery.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, I've been trying to get really good about leaving my phone somewhere in the house and actually distancing myself from it. And before yesterday I had not left the house for eight days. Um, Wowie. like, like, okay, let, 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 me rephrase that. Like I, I go on a walk around my neighborhood, but I'm not leaving the neighborhood, so to speak. So I've maybe seen maybe like six or seven other people. And it's just been, it, it's been like, a long continuous day. Like for example, yesterday I went out, grabbed some errands. My local comic book store is trying not to go out of business. So I went over there, they're doing a massive sale, and I got this graphic novel. Usually it's it's pretty thick. It's about like three, four hundred pages. I would, you know, stretch it out, savor it, read like maybe a couple pages, maybe a full issue's worth a day. I, I read it straight last night and that was three AM and I wasn't even tired. So I didn't really even go to sleep till like seven today. Then I slept for only a few hours, and I was awake. Seven a.m. Seven a.m.
0: Oh, that was just a few short hours ago. Well, I guess more, more short hours ago for me. But
1: yeah, it's just been, it's just been like, it's so you are
0: not keeping on a on a regular schedule. I'm <laughs> or maybe strug- That is your regular schedule. I'm
1: struggling. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not handling it well. I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sorry I'm to wonder if this show is going to have to turn into the you know the Remzo you know pull them off the ledge session.
1: Yeah, no, I, I've been staying away from alcohol and everything. I've been trying to, you know, get get outside and do stuff, but I'm just this is this is boring. Yeah. This is boring. I, I didn't realize how much like monotonous monotonous I can't even freaking say the word how many stupid things that I used to think were just pointless and time consuming, like going and taking my car to, um, you know, go get gas, having to go, you know, like blatant window shopping, having to go run errands for my girlfriends for work or something. Now it's just work and wait to work. And usually I consider myself a pretty, you know, active person. I've got a lot of side projects and stuff. I'm almost always working on, but all of that had to get put on hold. Um, all my book signings for the remainder of the spring through the summer all got canceled. We were going to have uh, the Witching Hour season two, the TV show, do with my brother that was supposed to premiere a week ago. Now none of our public access affiliates are accepting new content right now, so we don't know when that's happening.
0: It's already produced and, and shot. And
1: it's everything. it's everything. Like we thought, like you know, what if we just said screw it, let's just put it all on YouTube? But I mean, we're we're disenfranchising a lot of people that only still watch those stations who don't, you know, want to go on the YouTube where all the, all the fun is at. So like we would be cutting ourselves off. But then again, like everyone's doing that right now. You look at a lot of movies that were supposed to make billions of dollars this year. And now they're just, you know, available on certain streaming networks. Like Onward was supposed to be uh, Disney's biggest project project of 2020 and now it's just available on there uh bloodshot with vin diesel regardless of the fact that it wasn't like you know gonna make marvel money you still have vin diesel on top of the ticket you still have a lot of good producers and stuff attached to it it was in theaters for a week and now the only way to you know watch it on demand is if you buy it so like they're still trying to accommodate for that but the entire entertainment industry and everything else has just been been put in a in a state that we've never seen before it's just completely dead still yeah, let's talk about the, the entertainment industry because
0: obviously I'm, I'm out here in los angeles and nearly everyone that i know is connected to the entertainment industry in some way uh media production sp- sports production which i work in and it's all shut down doesn't exist um and besides the fact that I, I'm actually my biggest concern of course is you know, all the people I know and their jobs let alone the people that are trying to make it in that industry and supplement their uh, you know supplement that efforts by try by working in bars or restaurants I mean those people are all completely shut down too I can't imagine I, I'd hate to be someone who came out to LA with a dream in February of 2020 you know and just was just got their first bartending job and figured out oh I can just I can just make it by and try to break into the industry now I mean that that person is probably already left or is just you know miserable paying really high rent in a place where they can't make any money anymore. But I, I'm thinking on the larger scale, I mean, whatever entertainment exists right now is all that exists. Like nothing is being shot. Nothing is being filmed. Uh, I'm sure they'll come up with creative ways to do more things in remote locations with, with more using green sc- screens. I, I'm just wondering how this is going to shape entertainment and sports overall going forward because it's, it's really so hard to picture right now. It's really hard to picture anybody going to some giant sporting event where you're packed and crammed next to each other, regardless of what you think about the virus. I think the the psychological effect that that it's taking on people that just from the propaganda and the media, and I'm not trying to downplay any real danger there is. But I, to me, it seems like the psychological effects of everybody suddenly feeling they have to be, you know, six feet away from people, uh, not even touch their family and friends anymore. I mean, this seems like a, a contagion. That seems like the real contagion. That's that's not really going to go away, even if the, you know, the virus death rates drop, even if we start to forget about it. I think psychologically, this thing is here to stay regardless.
1: Yeah. I mean, if this has only been something that happened for a week or so, like, You know, we would have forgotten what it was like after two weeks. I think I started to realize, okay, this is pretty serious. Now I've been essentially at home for a month. And it's uh, it's just strange seeing how people are. When I went out yesterday, I did not see a single person without a mask on. It looks like those photos of like smog infested Beijing. Right, and it's like this is this is getting really weird. And the one thing I notice is that it's remarkably quiet. I live only twenty five minutes away from D.C. Uh, between me, I've got Alexandria, Rest- uh, Reston, Arlington. Like this is a major commuter area, and I'm seeing animals like standing in the middle of the road. They would never do that, like deer out in the middle of the day, like something from I Am Legend. It's just so odd. And, uh, I, I went, I went walking yesterday and I went a little bit longer than my usual route. I went on this back road. There's only a church. It's like middle of the country. It's quiet. It's wooded. It's away from all the major roads. So it's like a nice pocket of silence. But the one thing I noticed was that there were remarkably larger number of people that were actually walking. And the one thing I noticed was that if you were walking near somebody as they were approaching you from the other end of the sidewalk, they would get onto the road like it's social distancing and I don't even think they're thinking about it. It's just become an automatic option. It's like, Oh, I see somebody time to go on to the other side of the road. It's like, yeah, it's just, I, I it's just the odd same
0: thing. I noticed the same thing. When people see you come in, it's almost like, it's, it's almost like they might look at you. Like if you looked like a threatening person, like if I, if I saw someone across the street that looked, looked scary and big and, and tough, I might maybe go to another side of the street. But now it's like, everybody looks at each other like that because, Ooh, we're breathing. So who knows what, what might be coming out of us. Uh, and I can understand certain aspects of the logic of not wanting to spread a disease, wanting to protect the sick, wanting to protect uh, the vulnerable. Uh, I can completely understand it. I mean, My parents are certainly in the very vulnerable category, uh, and I don't want to go home and visit them for that reason. But at the same time... Some of the things I see are so illogical and make no sense at all. Like when I see people here in L.A., they issued a, a mask rule recently, and I'm not sure even exactly what it means. It went into effect on the 15th that you have to wear a mask in public. Well, what is in public? Is that just in a public place? Or are we talking about as soon as you leave your house you're in public? Because to me, to be walking around your neighborhood in a mask is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, whether you're alone or with your family. you're with you're with with the people you live with or or you're just outside you're not gonna get a virus and you're not by just walking around uh and and it just it just drives me crazy to see i actually saw someone people the other day that were driving around in alone in their cars with the mask on it's like what what possibly are you concerned about breathing your own you know breathing your own virus back in
1: yeah 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 it's just i like i know who is not a carrier at this point, it's been long enough. I had several people that thought that they may have been exposed to somebody for a while. Um, my family, my friends, everyone I work with thought that I may have been a patient zero. And it, it was one, like it, 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 I thought it was funny at first, but later on it became a very, it became a very stressful period because I was not only at CPAC, um, back in February, but I met with Ted Cruz that morning. Did you touch his hand? And with it, I did not shake hands, luckily, but he gave me his cell phone to take a picture of him with somebody else. So, you know, there was that six degrees of contacts thing. But, you and know, Ted we were Cruz
0: self-quarantined that he, he never had.
1: He, he did immediately didn't have it. But, you know, for almost two weeks, it was, oh, you were there. And, oh, you were of Ted Cruz because I, um, I, I did. I left on Saturday by Tuesday. That was when he uh, that was when CPAC announced that there was a guy from New Jersey that was there and was apparently going around French kissing people for all I know, grabbing everyone. And he was a positive carrier. And then on that Thursday, I was told not to come into work because everyone knew that I had been in contact with Ted Cruz. And at that point I had no, I had no clue what was happening and I go on Fox and I see that Ted Cruz self quarantined. So for almost two and a half, three weeks, people are asking me like, how do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? And I'm like, I'm fine. So it was, it it went from being something that was slightly ridiculous to growing. And then when that happened and everyone's like, you're sick. I'm like, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not feverish. I had to go to the doctor for something that week. And I told them and they ran me through, you know, just the basic flu tests. Like, you know, how's your, how's your temperature, how's your sleeping, all that basic stuff. And they're like, well, you're not symptomatic. So you're good. We're not going to test you for this because I mean, we don't want to just start handing out tests to everybody. So it it was one of those situations where it began to slowly, slowly, you know, creep in. And as soon as as soon as Washington, D.C. really shut down, that's when I realized, okay, this is this is something real. And now it's at the point where, you know, I think I was quarantining myself a week before the general population did. Like, I, I know who I know, which of my friends are good now, like. I was invited to go to a friend's house later, and we were just gonna drink beer on his porch. And part of me was thinking, should I? And I'm like, well, why shouldn't I? He's not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not going anywhere in between. We should be good. But it's that thought process that keeps kind of bothering me during this thing. And I know it's bothering a lot of people right now because in Virginia, we've got um, you know certain people. A good friend of mine, um, who's a I I won't say his name because I don't want to get him in trouble or something, but he's a city council member. He's thinking about having a lot of people basically just show up to work and start reopening their local economy. He's not going to make it public, but he's basically like, we're just going to start going back to work. it's like, okay, I I think you should be able to go back to work, especially, you know, if you're good. But at the same time, I think that is going to freak a lot of people out. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying, if you do that, like stuff is going to happen. That's going to be out of your control. Right. it seems like the
0: narrative of what we're trying to do by you know forcing businesses close by keep keeping everyone at home which in itself is silly I mean you shouldn't it drives me crazy when I see this hashtag stay the fuck inside because being inside has never been an issue in fact it's better to be outside in sun in the open air where viruses don't hang out a place they hang out is indoors especially if you live with other people and they bring the virus in somehow you're a lot more or less likely to get it if you're spending more time outdoors than if you're spending more time cramping indoors with them. So just just seeing the stay the fucking side stuff drives me crazy. But it, I think it's part of this thing where I've seen this shift. Where it, this was first sold to us, or first sold to me anyway, the, the way I perceived it, as we have to shut everything down because we have asymptomatic carriers and we don't know who has it. So that way, so for that reason, we need to all separate because you know you can have these you can be asymptomatic and carry the virus for 14 to 21 days. So to me. While I disagree with any government force from the beginning, it still seemed like, okay, well, the idea is to separate for the two to three weeks so the virus doesn't go spreading asymptomatically around, so we make sure the hospitals don't get overwhelmed. That was the idea. But now here we are, where outside of New York City, hospitals are not overwhelmed. In fact, there are hospitals shutting down. I think there was an army hospital set up in, I want to say, Washington, that they open it up, never saw a patient, shut it down. So there's clearly many places where this is not overwhelming hospitals and that was always the sales pitch, not to make sure nobody ever gets sick, not to make sure nobody ever gets a virus, it was to make sure our healthcare system didn't get overwhelmed so we didn't become quote unquote the new Italy. But that conversation has completely changed. That's not what it now it's about every single politician is pretty much saying, you know, we need to lockdown until, or at least here in California, I mean, that's what the mayor is saying that we need, we can't really go back to normal or, or end these lockdowns until we either have a vaccine or herd immunity. Well, vaccine is not going to happen for, for 18 to whatever months. And even when it does, I don't want to take a vaccine. I'd rather, I'm in a health place where I'd feel more at risk by taking a vaccine that might harm my immunity in other ways than just by taking the risk, I get the virus and that it passes through my body.
1: Exactly. I mean, I haven't had flu shots since 2017 because for me personally, and it doesn't come from anything else that people usually think of when you say I'm not taking vaccines. My problem with vaccines was always when I got a vaccine, I always got the full on symptom and I was always worse off because of it. So I made the conscious choice not to get vaccines since. And since then, I have not had the flu in over three years. I've had like stomach bugs and stuff like that since, but I've never gotten the seasonal flu like other people. And yeah, I with the, I've
0: had the seasonal flu and I mean, I, I'm sure I had it when I was a kid. I don't, I'm not even sure if I had vaccines when I was a kid or not. I don't remember. Do you but get right the shots now? No, I haven't had a, I haven't had a shot of any kind. Well, in 2010, I went to go travel in some countries with like, you know, some weird diseases. So I, I did get a few shots that were recommended for that at the time, including I got my MMR then, but I haven't had a shot since. And I, I don't know if I'll ever get one again, to be honest. I'd rather, I've learned so much more about immunity and how to keep myself healthy that I would rather kind of take my chances with my own body and the things I do for myself and get, getting myself healthier than just jab myself with a, a needle every year. out of the fear I might get one of a billion strains that they're making a vaccine for.
1: Yeah, like. When in, uh, in 2013, when I joined the army, like I got anthrax shot and I still have the skin tag actually on my wrist. That's a reaction that happens sometimes. So it, it developed over about a week. So like my thing was, listen, like I've been inoculated for anthrax. I'm going to be okay from all these other things. But, you know, years and years later, I kept having to get the, the shots and everything. And, you know, with with the vaccine right now, I would I would be skeptical of even people that I might trust. say, get this vaccine, because when you rush out anything, especially like this, it's going to have that possibility that might not work. We saw this with swine flu when they were inoculating people for swine flu. The first round of vaccines and the nasal stuff that came out when uh, swine flu hit around 2008, 2009, they found out several years later that that wasn't actually the strain that was harming people. So we basically got inoculated for something else. I mean, the whole thing about flu shots and all this other stuff you know, it's, and I'm not an anti-vax person. My thing is, if you, if you want it, go get it. I'm not saying people shouldn't. I'm, You know, I don't believe that we should give children, like as young as two, like 13 million shots. But my thing is, understand that when you get a flu shot, you're not getting inoculated for that specific strain. You're getting inoculated for the guess, the assumption that that will be the strain. It's like basing what are you got to inject yourself with based off the results of a roulette wheel. So I'm going to be maybe a 20 to
0: 30% chance, even if the vaccine is hundred percent effective for the flu,
1: that there's a, you know,
0: a 70 or so percent chance you're going to get one of the other strains. If you did even get a flu in the first place.
1: Exactly. I mean, there's, there's no guarantee people who like, okay, for example, my brother, um, he's 21. He got the chicken pox last August at, at 21 years old. He got so the he chicken So he never pox. had
0: it as a kid. Did you have it as a kid? Never. No one. Oh, wow. See, and I, I had it as a kid. It was one of those things. I don't know if they do it still now, but you no, know, they didn't put me in a room with other kids, but. Oh yeah. You know, expose them. That way as, they don't yeah, get it. It was yeah. the kind of thing where you knew you had it. Other kids in your class would get it. Y'all went home for a week and you're never
1: going to have it again. Yeah. The The problem was though, we checked his shot record. He got the shot for chicken pox. When he so, was a kid. when he was a kid.
0: Cause I think the shots aren't effective for life necessarily either. Obviously, obviously, or perhaps at all in this, in his case.
1: I mean, we, we don't know the doctors were like, he should have been fine, but that was like, what do you mean? He should have been fine. The thing either works or it doesn't. Should he have gone back for it? I mean, we had this discussion with his doctor and it was just, it was just so weird, but I mean, he got chicken pox at 21 and he was down for the count. I never thought it was as bad, until I saw what it was doing to him, because we well, have it's, like it's
0: th- supposed to be much more brutal to adults, which is why they try to get it kids to just get it, you yeah. know, or wh- why they used to. Now, I guess maybe they're pushing the shots more. When I was a kid, it was just like, No, you're gonna get chicken pox at some point, some of your friends are gonna get it at the same time. We'll keep you home, we'll put some stuff on you so you're not too itchy,
1: and then you know, your,
0: your body's gonna get rid of it and you're never gonna get it again.
1: Yeah, and now because he got it as an adult, he's more susceptible to shingles years oh, wow. later. So I mean, here we here we are. We trusted a vaccine that was supposed to have taken care of it for whether it was life or just for a long duration. We thought that by the time you are an adult, you would be immune to it if you were inoculated as a kid. Turned out that wasn't the case. So now he's been freaking out because as soon as he recovers from chickenpox, this stuff happens. Mm-hmm. So it's been uh, he's he's been very paranoid about it, and I mean, rightfully so. I think the the biggest thing that we need to understand is that you know. If we had just been more sanitary, we probably would have been fine because I don't believe what we're doing now is really flattening this curve. I mean, it doesn't even make sense when I've looked at it. And I've seen everything from what the CDC is saying to what Fauci is saying. And Fauci bothers me because he's saying, oh, we need to lock down for a year and give people immunity cards and we might see the seasonally. It's like, dude, if this is something that we're going to have to live with, here's the thing. We can't just live in our house waiting for the government to like each other enough to go ahead and cut checks that barely cover what we need. It's like, we need to move on eventually. So whether that's now or later, I believe that if you were going to get this, you were going to get it. Nothing anyone can do can stop it. It's just one of those things that we genuinely have no control over. We can mitigate it, but we can't control it at the end of the day.
0: You can do basic things. I mean, if you're concerned about germs, like I've always been the opposite of a germaphobe. I've always kind of been like probably gross in some ways. Like I've always just had the attitude like, yeah, I'm going to get germs. They're going to pass through my body. Sometimes maybe I'll get sick. Sometimes I won't. But I'm not really that sick very often. And I know people that are super paranoid about germs and are always you know doing every little thing that you're supposed to do. And they... I, this is all anecdotal but to me they kind of seem to get sick more than I do I don't know I don't know if there's any you know scientific truth to that or not but I, I don't think it makes a major difference I'm sure doing basic things like washing your hands uh, not touching your face after touching doorknobs and things like that are probably smart things to do to not to not spread germs but for the most part unless we're just gonna stop interacting as human beings like germs and viruses are going to spread and we should do everything we can to protect people that are vulnerable that are uh, you know potentially could be harmed by this. But we should have been probably doing that on the voluntary individual level more for the flu, uh, too, before, because that kills people as well. So maybe we should have more of a better attitude towards not going around the elderly when we're sick or even feeling slightly sick, things like that. But at the same time, you have to let the vast majority of people who will, if they get this virus... Will get sick or or will in in more likelihood, it seems not get sick or will just be asymptomatic and just pass it along. Um, It's got to it's got to get through our our society one way or another. Uh, Again, here in in the governor Newsom in California said, you know, has this this multi-state pact. Suddenly, you know, states rights are, are a whole thing now for him. And then I, I kinda like the idea. The idea, if it wasn't for my knowledge of how they're gonna do things, then the reason they're doing this is because they're they, they don't want to go by Trump's plan to, to start reopening things by May 1st and, and by his steps. They want to have their own steps. And you know, at first when I saw this thing, they came up with this pact and this plan to reopen, I thought, okay, a plan to reopen is at least something more than I'd heard before, until you read the plan, and it's just six vague points that you basically can never meet until you, it's basically until we can guarantee no one gets sick, we can't we can't reopen. I mean, it's 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 not quite as as ridiculous as that, but it's it's pretty darn close. It seems very very difficult to achieve. Um, and and he even said we're not gonna have or this is actually the LA mayor now Garcetti said that we're not gonna have sporting events, concerts, or anything like that until until next year at the earliest because we need to achieve herd immunity or a vaccine before we can do anything like this again. And to me, it just seems like this is crazy, and this is not even. I'm not trying to downplay it because it is bad for certain people. There's no doubt about that. I think there's enough evidence to say that it is something, uh, something worse than a cold, a regular cold, or even a regular flu. But at the same time, you walk outside and there's not ha- people's heads aren't exploding. You'd think that people were vomiting blood in the street. You know? You'd know, think that this is just sitting out there in the air, infecting people by the way people are acting. And that's so obviously not true. I mean, and there just seems to be so much fear that people have that is leading to just irrational behavior, like, like reporting yeah. people who are in a park, a family in a park who's going to go home and be in their house together too it's absurd
1: yeah i mean this is this this is not ebola i mean this is you look at you know other uh, other health pandemics like this from just the last 50 years alone let's say the last 50 years we had the aids epidemic we had ebola we had sars we had swine flu we had the uh uh the West Nile virus, bird like flu. bird flu, mad cow disease. Like we had a lot of stuff. Well, what I'm more worried about now is what's going to happen. Flesh
0: eating virus. Were you around for that one? That one was no. oh, way scarier. That is oh, yeah. terrifying. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was, Oh, maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe it was over 10 years ago, but there was this flesh eating virus going around. I think you had to get it by, you know, on your skin or into your blood or something. I don't think you could just breathe it, but it was this thing that started, well, it's pretty literal. just started eating your flesh. And I remember sure. that was a big, scary thing in the news for a while.
1: Oh my God.
0: And all of those sounded
1: way, way scarier than this. Most of them anyway, Th- this definitely is just- Ebola,
0: definitely, um, you know, swine flu sounded at least just as bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think a lot of people really understand what this is. What this is, it's just a very aggressive flu. And when you look at what people are actually dying from, that's why the whole, you know, uh, or do you have a weakened immunity thing? Are you elderly? It keeps being brought up. All this does is it basically opens up your immune system to other things. So people aren't really dying from COVID-19. They're dying from upper respiratory issue. They're dying from extreme fever. They're dying from pneumonia. So it's the cause for those things to happen, but COVID nineteen alone will not kill you. That's why, like more than half of the people that have gotten it have been asymptomatic. They might have felt bad for a few days, but other than that, they were able to do well. I mean, you, you compare the United States to most of the world, and it varies by state by state. But we're genuinely, really freaking sanitary. I've been to I've been to other countries and other places where we have where they have like no standard of sanitation. Mm-hmm. And I think we were better off to go ahead and take care of ourselves for this than anyone else. That's why you look at the difference between Wuhan, China, where it was basically in the middle of nowhere. They didn't even have a hospital. And then Washington, D.C., Washington declares a state of emergency FEMA is basically in charge. They have people there who have it. It's under a few hundred and a couple of died from it. But they were also elderly and they had a series of prior health issues. So when DC and people can say what they want about DC, yeah, it's a, it's a very rundown place when you look at their infrastructure, but they're doing pretty good compared to everywhere else where this has happened. And the the thing that bothers me is when people, you know, throw out like numbers porn, it's like millions of people. It's like, okay, well you spread millions across billions that much. And the United States, they're like, um, a few weeks ago, they're like, Oh, 200,000 people have confirmed coronavirus in the United States. I'm like, wait a second. 200,000 people is the population of my hometown in Arizona. (laughs) Right. Like that's, it's just a small border town, 200,000 people. um, that's you know, you take that small town population spread across the country, you look at maybe a few hundred, maybe a few thousand per state. It's like that's that's not that terrifying. It's,
0: it's so hard to know, you know, what to believe in terms of numbers and the deadliness of the virus. And the truth is even people studying it, you know, honestly and legitimately, probably don't really know. We're just taking very educated guesses on limited sample sizes, because at the most, for the most part, until very recently, I think there's a couple cases where they're just mass testing people in, in small areas uh, to see. And, and in those cases, from a couple cases I've seen, it does seem that it's possible that a lot more people have the virus than we realize. Which is actually would be, if it were true, would actually be a good thing, because if a lot more people than we realize have it, then that means it's a lot less deadly than we even thought. Because before that. There They're probably just testing people and not probably, I mean, I know for a fact for a long time, they were only testing people that were so bad that they had to be hospitalized or that met a certain level of sickness. I mean, I know a lot of people that thought they might have it um, and, and went to try to get tested and could not get tests. So who knows? Maybe they had it. Maybe they don't. We'll never really know, uh, but when they're only testing the people that are sick enough to be hospitalized, in many cases, I mean, yeah, when that's your sample size, the death rate will, of course, seem a lot higher because you're only getting those people that got to that extreme point, whereas there's probably so many people that either didn't have symptoms at all or they had a bad cough, a bad cold. I mean, even if I do get sick, even if I have a really bad sinus infection or something for a week, I just hold myself up in bed for a week. I don't even consider going to the doctor unless I'm, I've never been, I've never been once at a point where I've been so sick that I thought I had to go to a doctor. Um, Really. Um, Although I will admit, I did actually have a very slight corona scare this year just because I suddenly got a fever and I got really sick but it was just to my stomach which I knew this was not a corona thing and I eventually did after a couple of days just because the, the stomach pain was still with me I'd go to a doctor and they said you know they wouldn't have even they said we wouldn't have even let you in this building if we thought you had symptoms of coronavirus and none of my symptoms were that but just because I broke into a fever and I I, I can't remember the last time I broke into a fever I did get a little paranoid for for a couple of days but I actually once it started hitting my stomach I said okay that's good because that's not, that's not coronavirus. I'm just going to go throw up a little bit and I'll be fine. Uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I am just saying
0: I I never get sick, but that was the, I can't remember being sick with a fever in you know, a a decade before that at at, at most.
1: Yeah. I mean, Andrew Cuomo has been repeatedly saying it. He's like, as you hear numbers go up, don't think those are new cases. When we test more people, we're going to find more positive people. Mm-hmm. so don't let it freak you out that much I, I'm more concerned about like what what's gonna happen economically because I think we're we're Absolutely. gonna I mean that next recession it's here um, it's only a matter of how bad it gets and I think people need to remember the difference between a recession and a depression is a uh, depression is when you lose your job but I mean this is right. I, I don't think when we look back at this and we start to see the the jobless rates the unemployment the the drastic effects is going to have on people's livelihood i don't think people are going to look back and say oh yeah that still justifies it i think we're gonna think that we overreacted to this
0: Hey there, Liberty Kitties. Time to take a quick time out to tell you about one of our longtime supporters. His name is Tyler Colford, and he goes by the pseudonym Crypto Man. That's his rapping name. That's right. He is a rapper as well. He does some awesome stuff, and he recently produced a track called Free Ross. And the Ross in question is, of course, Ross Ulbricht, the creator of the Silk Road Marketplace, who was sentenced to two life sentences for creating that marketplace. Yes, it was a black market indeed of all sorts of things, including drugs, consensual transactions, which libertarians are completely in favor of. There were no victims and there were no crimes as far as we're concerned. So please do check out the track Free Ross. It was just released on Friday, March 27th, the 35th birthday of Ross Ulbricht. And 100% of the proceeds will go to the Free Ross Foundation which is uh, helping to free Ross and bring more awareness to his situation. Do check out the links. I will put them all over at lionsofliberty.com slash free Ross for ease of use. You can also pre-order it on Google Play. Again, 100% of the proceeds of this track will be going to help free Ross.
1: generation you see this trend
0: of people that seem to anybody like you or I who br- even brings up or tries to acknowledge the fact that there is massive destruction that comes with the economic damage of just shutting down businesses like this that we don't care about lives or we don't care, we we just want people to get sick and you know we don't care how things shake out and that's to me. I could say the same thing about them if I was. If I wanted to presume they had bad intentions, I I hope people presume I have good intentions when I'm putting forward my opinion on anything. But I, I could say the same thing. Well, I guess you don't care about all the people that are factually going to commit suicide when when the economy gets worse. I think there's been some metric. They even say like, as gd you no know, as gd unemployment goes up a certain amount, there's a a, a number of suicides that. Tend to always increase with that amount. So unemployment is every week we're seeing like another five million added to the unemployment. How many of those people are going to be in such despair that they either commit suicide or they get so depressed and down and their health deteriorates and they're at more risk of being sick now? Um, when you're stressed and you are are worried all the time, you're at a much higher. Your body just reacts in a way that it you know you're much more susceptible to being sick than when you're healthy and happy. So so many less people are going to be healthy, uh, less happy, and more stressed out and. And now they're staying inside, not getting sun. I think we're adding so many things to the elements of why people get sick, both physically and mentally in the first place, that it seems like there's just an exponential ball that, that can't even be stopped if they just flip a switch tomorrow. Even if they flipped a switch now and said, just kidding, this is all an overreaction. We really messed up. Go back to normal. There's already been so much damage done that, I'm not even sure how, I mean, I'm sure there are many small businesses that have gone under already or are about to that are, they're not going to suddenly
1: have money to reopen up again uh, when this all,
0: when this all comes back or to whatever extent it does.
1: Yeah. I mean, Warren Buffett always says, be, be greedy when others are fearful, be fearful when others are greedy. We're seeing that right now, but what I, I the, the, some of the things that Bothered me last year when Andrew Yang was running. And I'm saying this in a positive light to him. He mentioned, you know, we're going to see a massive acceleration in automation, a massive acceleration in income disparities, and people not being able to move up as they typically would in a normal capitalist system. I think his assessment of that was actually really spot on. And if anything was going to propel that faster, it's definitely this. Yeah, all those essential uh, grocery store stalkers. Thank you for your service right now and for still coming to work and everything. Most people would just call it doing your job, but like, you know, thank you for doing that. How are we going to thank you after this? I think if you were laid off, you're not coming back. If you were afraid of the um, automated kiosk or uh, self checkout register before, meet your new coworker because that's happening with truckers right now and everything. And I want to see the number of truckers that have gotten into accidents. I actually genuinely believe that more of that has happened, even though there are less vehicles on the road, just because we're working these people to death right now. I think we're going to start seeing automated semis very soon. I mean, this is going to happen. The other thing that also worries me is I think we're also going to see a lot more businesses say that they're not accepting cash payments for things. I think everything's going to have to be done wirelessly or through a card. So I think you know this whole idea of oh we're going to give more sick days to workers and we're going to have more employee benefits and we're going to raise the minimum wage. I don't. I think that's something people are saying right now because it's a feel good type of thing. But everything shows that when things are good, people are going to start taking care of themselves again. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. But the thing that really bothers me are the number of small businesses. You know, small businesses account for sixty percent of uh, working Americans in the United States. It's been going down every decade. Um, since the 60s i mean it's going to get to the point where a lot of those businesses are not going to come back so you know the idea of living the american dream being an entrepreneur starting a small business you're either going to have to get really good soft skills technical skills that you could do remotely or you're going to have to go work for a company or a corporation like once they take that place they're not coming back
0: that is the trend that you know While I didn't agree with Andrew Yang's policy prescriptions in in any way, shape or form, he was completely accurate in in pointing out a problem that that whether you – no matter what your political beliefs are, this is a thing that's going to happen and – I'm of the belief that in the long term, automation is beneficial to all of us. Uh, I don't support a UBI or anything like that, but we still can reckon we can believe that and still recognize that certain people are going to be at least short term hurt by losing their jobs to automation. And something like this, I mean, this is the number one perfect excuse, perfect reason for any companies that were on the verge of automating certain things uh, that were previously done by people or groups of people. I mean, that necessity and that desire to automate has gone from maybe we'll look at it too. We have to do that now because we're going into this world where we can't be around people and we can't have people in, in big groups. Because even if we get up our coronavirus, now this is there in the psychology. So now they're gonna think, okay, well, this coronavirus thing passed through, but what about the next one? We're gonna have to do all of this again. So now we need to be prepared. So any sort of advancements towards um, automation are going to accelerate so much more now than they already even were. Uh, there's if there was anybody that was on the fence about whether to automate, they're not gonna be on the fence anymore, especially if they're in the process of laying people off. And I do think you're Right, I think we're going to end up in, with basically a, a two-tiered society in a sense. Basically, two two career paths you can take. Because as I think one effect, as you pointed out, uh, of all of this is that the, the really really big boys, the big corporations that can that can take on 14 extra sick days and all of this stuff, they're going to be fine. Amazon's doing great, Walmart's doing great, but the local stores here and there, they're done. I mean, they're and they're probably not going to come back. Those guys might have to go work at Amazon, go work at Walmart, uh, and that's going to be a shift we're going. To to see like you said people are going to have to have to have to actually get certain jobs whatever jobs remain at giant giant corporations as all these small businesses continue to go under and can't struggle can't really fight their way through lockdowns or there's going to be people who are entrepreneurial and are able to set aside a certain set of skills um hopefully podcasting being one of those uh that uh, you know to, that lets them work remotely lets them not have to rely on going somewhere or, or you know being beholden to a large corporation
1: yeah i mean it's this is this is one of those things where I really hope a lot more people really start to pay attention to the fact that we were we are really a country that was running off of borrowed time on things. When I look at all the apocalyptic scenarios for how the downfall of society was going to be, what this showed me was that it would happen way faster because how many people didn't have, you know, at least a month's supply of food or a few weeks supply of food? I think the metric is we're all nine meals away from starvation when you actually look at how much food you should have stored? Do you have guns? Gun sales went up drastically. I mean, I I remember what actually traumatized me as a kid, and this is before I really got um, politically minded about things. I think I was like 10 or 12. In Virginia, in Fairfax County, we had a week-long power outage. No power in the entire county. Couldn't watch TV, couldn't charge your phone, couldn't refrigerate stuff. The power was out. And uh, after a couple of days, the power came back, but it came back sporadically throughout the county. And I remember on like the third or fourth day, we were able to watch our TV and we were watching the news and they had these cooling centers where basically they were massive air conditioned gyms and rec centers and stuff like that. And we didn't see sick people, poor people. We saw like middle-class suburbanites going to these cooling centers with their iPad and their phone and a little battery pack charging stuff. They were all fighting over outlet space. And there was this woman, she was probably forty in her 40s. She was actually a teacher at my local high school. They interviewed her, and she said, I don't know what would have happened if I couldn't charge my iPad. I was freaking well, would, out. Well, what have happened? <laughs> yeah, and that bothers me. It's like these well to do middle class suburbanites were losing their shit. And everyone's freaking out, oh, I'll have extra food. Oh, well, how was I supposed to heat my water and keep stuff cool and stuff like that? It's like these it, are the same people that would laugh
0: at you if you stored up, you know, you know, cases of canned food in your in your closet.
1: Oh, they, they were always like my like my family, we, were, we, were, we started prepping after that, but it's like, oh, you know, oh, you guys are afraid of a, the apocalypse or the zombie doomsday or something. But it's like, well, if something does happen, I'm going no, to. No, I'm
0: afraid of you people who don't prepare, who are going to lose your minds. When, when I have been
1: genuinely, genuinely more afraid of my neighbors during this time than anything else. Because after a few weeks, especially when the toilet paper started getting rationed and everything else, and the internet bandwidth was going down a little bit. Yeah, I looked around at people and they got paranoid Mm -hmm. because now they're thinking like, shit, how are we going to do stuff? How will I watch my Netflix if they're taking up all the internet? It's like that really showed me how easy we are to kill. Imagine, like, it, right now, if if someone was really that nefarious, if they want to take out the United States, right now would be the best time. Take out our power grids. Oh God, do God that. We would. There, somebody's already thinking this. All this just showed me is that yeah, I prepared for the worst, not because I want it to happen, but because at least I know if it did happen, I'd be okay. And that's not something I take a lot of solace in, but. This has really shown people, it's like, this is a sample of what happens. Now, imagine if the grocery stores only filled up every other day. Right. Like, people really need to start looking at this. Dave Ramsey, you know, he, he, his biggest thing for his baby steps is always make sure you at least have $1,000 in cash. Mm-hmm. It's like, how many people did not even have $1,000 in liquid cash? Like we were living on borrowed time.
0: Think about these stimulus checks of twelve hundred dollars, which I'm certainly not getting one. But I got there's such a joke to me. I mean, if someone gets helped by it, congratulations. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fret over it. Such a small amount of money compared to all the terrible things that government spends money on. But if someone's in the situation where twelve hundred dollars helps them so much, then that same person is. Gonna, you know, need that twelve hundred dollars
1: in a month. You know, they, they, it's not going to last very long. They uh, they were doing bad much. before this whole thing. All this I showed mean. them was that th- this is what happens when you have a lifetime of either bad opportunities or mistake. I'm not going to say everyone was just financially irresponsible, but it comes to the point where it's like everything that's not this right now is borrowed time, mm-hmm. because this yeah. is game time, and a lot of people are failing. And I'm someone who has that mindset, who has the mindset of always
0: having you know, six months of savings, uh, always being prepared. And even I feel like, well, am I really as prepared as I should be? So I can't imagine someone that never even had that mindset before and maybe was just thought, everything's always going to be fine. I'm always going to go to the grocery store. I'm always going to have food. Um, and now suddenly they're faced with this idea of, wait, there's certain items I can't get. What's going on? Because now you're seeing grocery stores start to ration because as, as there's changes in the supply chain, you know, maybe they have the product, but they see it slowing down, so now they have to ration a a little bit and this is just going to keep going and going until you know i still go to the stores and can't find a single paper product in, in any store around me
1: yeah i mean it's i think I, <laughs> if you were investing in bidets you must be making a killing right now folks yep. but i mean just that alone like the toilet paper thing and, and i mean i don't know why people were hoarding it we don't have a supply issue the stores are getting supplied daily it's not like there's a lack of toilet paper that's being manufactured. It, it seemed like
0: an odd thing for everyone. For the one thing that everyone rushes for, it wasn't even water. It wasn't even canned food. It was the toilet paper.
1: I just, I, I think a lot of mania had contributed to that because somebody saw somebody buy more than what would be considered a normal amount of rolls, and then they're like, "Well, they know something. I should do it." And then somebody else saw that, and then we all like didn't say it, but we we're all like, "Well, I saw other people hoarding it, and I won't be yeah. left out in the situation." Um, it's, been, it's been so strange seeing how that happens. And it's, it, it's one of those things where I, I think, you know, everyone said after 2008, that's the worst it's ever going to get. And now we're in a situation where we're not only going to have a financial crisis, but now we're having a health crisis on top of it. This is going hap- to happen again.
0: It's seeming more and more clear every day that to whatever extent the health crisis is real, I'm certainly not downplaying it for anybody sick. I'm certainly not downplaying it for New York City. But to whatever extent is real, the economic damage is so going to be so much worse and going to only compile on top of it. And the worst part about all this that really, really drives me crazy is despite all the economic destruction that's going on, which will result in many people dying quite possibly and quite probably, I would even say, many more than we'll digest from the virus. The worst part about all this, we're still going to have the virus. It's not going to disappear. It's not going to disappear because we destroyed the economy. It's not going to say, oh, thanks for locking down for two, two months and destroying your economy, guys. I'm going to go away now. No, it's still going to be floating around. Uh, it's still going to spread around to people. We're still going to have to achieve herd immunity in some way. And that's not going to change with these lockdowns. All it's going to do is push the curve or, you know, push it out or take, make it take longer. Uh, in many ways, I, I'm, I'm concerned that this flattening of the curve is really just lengthening, lengthening the, the line or whatever you want to say, because uh, especially now, as I said earlier, it's the conversation has changed. First, it was we need to socially distance to flatten the curve so our health care system doesn't get overwhelmed. But now that that's not even the conversation anymore. Now the conversation is we need to stay away from each other forever until we have a vaccine or we're going to have to lock you in your homes or perhaps come and remove your sick family members. I mean, the way this escalated in like a month is just mind blowing to me. And that's when my conspiracy mind just does start to go crazy a little bit. There's that side of it. And then the other side of me that just thinks, well, politicians are politicians and they only have a hammer. So they're going to see nails everywhere. So
1: they're just going to call for force because what else do they have? Yeah, I mean, it's this whole thing isn't like we're going to be talking about this for a while. And this is only going to sprout up other issues. I mean, on a macro level, what I want to do is this is something I'm, I'm kind of working on in my free time. I want to start collecting data now so I could write a paper about this later. But I'm looking at the economic uh, impact for certain consumer industries. Uh, what we're seeing right now is I think GameStop, this is my prediction, my personal prediction. By the year 2022, GameStop will not exist. You will this, only. You're
0: saying this as a, I believe you're from. Did you work at GameStop? I worked at GameStop. Okay.
1: I worked at okay, GameStop. I, I, I. did. I, yeah, I was. A, I was a GameStop cashier for a little bit, and I can tell you right now, everyone at my local GameStop I used to work off got work at got laid off. GameStop. You would think club. of anything. I mean, I think it's because they were largely considered a non-essential business. So they're shut down a lot of places. Is that right? Well, they were considered essential, but the problem was GameStop corporate issued something down to all their stores and regions saying, you have to make sure that you have no more than like 10 people in the store. So that way we don't get the government freaking out at us because a lot of state governments actually consider GameStop an essential business because at least video games would keep people indoors. What happens was you had a lot of managers and I, I met some Dumbass managers during my time. There were a lot of managers that were not abiding by that. They weren't offering curbside service. They were having just swarms of people in the store. They weren't cleaning stuff. People, you understand? Like most, most of my time when I was working at GameStop, I was cleaning stuff. Because people come in, they touch everything, they cough on shit, they throw things around. There was just a lot of cleaning that went involved, and they were barely doing that. So what GameStop corporate did was they told most all their stores to shut down. And now what they're doing was instead of just furloughing or laying people off, now they're actually going to close like 300 stores permanently right now. So I think GameStop, which has been going downhill for a while, I think by 2022, they're completely going to not, not exist. And right now, with uh, with with comic book stores, the comic book store industry has been on a decline for years, despite mm-hmm. massive licensing sales for toys, figures, video games, TV shows, movies. The actual print comic book has not been doing very great. It's seen better years more recently, but overall, it's been a declining industry. I think the the biggest problem right now with with comic books, and I think this will be something that will interest people on you know different levels, but um, you know. One of the problems is Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, they were all publishing through one printer called uh, Diamond Publishing. And last month, Diamond basically said, because we can't ensure that we're going to have a safe, clean environment for our employees, we're going to have to stop printing comics until this whole thing is over. So Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, they're not coming out with any new stories. But what they were thinking about doing was just doing direct-to-digital comics, which means you can only buy a certain comic digitally. You won't be able to get it through prints. Prints is how these stores make money. And when you look at the number one um, uh, seller of print comics over the past decade and a half, it's been Marvel Comics. So a lot of these uh, independent comic book stores were only dependent on one publishing brand alone. So now what you've done is you've taken one, you've taken two, you've taken three, Marvel, Dark Horse, DC, and they have recently pledged that they're not going to do direct to digital, but they can always just, you know, renege that whole thing. I think right now what we're gonna see is the the traditional brick and mortar comic book shop after this. I think it's gonna become if it was if it was an endangered species before, it's like on Harambe levels now. Like, it's not going to be the same after this. And I think that's because if 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 these.
0: If these comic book stores are relying on, you know, basically Marvel sales to be able to stay open and then they suddenly can't stay open and now all these other maybe smaller, you know, smaller comic book producers that might be, you know, selling their, their indie comics to like local stores, now they have hardly anywhere to go where the one place they might've gotten some buzz and some word of mouth by, by people talking to each other, well, now that's gone too. I, I think at some point you're just gonna see like the only, you're gonna have to buy di- digital games, digital comics. If you wanna go in person, maybe you'll take a trip to the Marvel mega store one day you know where you say ten feet apart, and maybe you can get a, a very rare limited edition print of something. But it seems like everything that can be delivered del, 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 delivered digitally that's di, del, delivered and digital combined into one word is delivered D- delivered digitally. <laughs> uh, you're going to see that happen. I mean, now more than ever, and I think that who's going to be hurt again? It's the small comics book shops. It's the the Game Stops. Um, it's all these small businesses that are getting crushed, whereas these big ones will survive and even thrive because now people that are left need to get jobs somewhere and people still need to get their stuff from somewhere, whether it's their groceries from Walmart or their comic books directly from Marvel.
1: Uh, I mean, this trend is, it seems to be the same across the board. Yeah. And I mean, just, just looking at that one thing alone, I, I think it's more interesting for me because it's more personal for me. I'm a giant nerd, but you know, I, I know the owners of almost every comic book store between where I'm at in Virginia through uh, through New Jersey. Like, they're all suffering. Kevin Smith's uh, comic book store, The Secret Stash in Red Bank, New Jersey, even Kevin Smith is like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay in business after this. When yeah. Kevin's freaking Smith is like, I don't know. That's a ton
0: of money who could probably afford yeah. to you know, just pay to keep it open for some amount of time, whereas most comic book shop owners probably can't
1: afford a month without income. It, exactly. Like, when he starts freaking out that he can't sell comics, that's a problem. And especially, yeah. like,
0: are people going to even want to, you know, at least to the extent that people are really concerned about a virus, go into a comic sh- shop and touch a bunch of different comics? Every that's that's one of the places where people are truly browsing and truly touching a, a bunch of things, look, flipping through things, putting them back. I mean, it seems like the, any business that requires people to be in there touching things and gra- grabbing things uh, is gonna suffer again regardless of the extent of the actual severity of the virus, because this has become psychological now.
1: Yeah. I mean, part of me have been thinking like, you know, everyone's trying to stress. So oh, order takeout, pay 20%. It's like, wait a second. Why would I want someone else touching my food? I don't know the condition of their kitchen. I don't know if they wash their hands. That's a lot of trust. The other
0: day I was driving around and it, it really just dawned on me when I, I passed a park that had just benches taped off. And you know, so that's okay. That's bad. Can't do that. Might get a virus, I guess. And that the same on the same car ride, I passed the McDonald's with a, a line, a drive-through line, all the way around the building. But that's fine. That's okay. I'm not saying they both shouldn't be allowed. I actually, I'm saying they both should be allowed. But how can you tell me going to the park is bad, but you know, having your food prepared by someone and eating McDonald's overall, which is obviously going to be bad for your body, bad for your immune system, that's okay. It may, it just makes no sense at all. Yeah, it's
1: th- this whole thing is just wild i don't think i don't think we're gonna look back at this and think yeah that that made sense right now we don't even think a lot of this makes sense but a few years from now we're gonna be thinking wow we really did cut our nose to spite our face on this one the real problem is that no matter what happens
0: They the people that are pushing for lockdowns and all of the sort of thing, they have kind of all the cards. They kind of have an out either way, because if things get better and this thing fades away, they'll say, see, look what we did. We did the lockdowns. We kept you all separated and everything worked out. Or if it gets worse, they can also say, we told you we had a lock more. Now we need to do even more. Now we need to keep you really in your homes 24 seven. And maybe we'll give you a delivery of food and your UBI check once uh,
1: once a month if you're good. I mean, government's the only thing that can royally screw up and grow bigger as a result of this. I was actually okay with the idea of the relief checks going out, because the way I saw it, the American people need a bailout because this was a government issue. This was their fault. They were telling people to stay at home. They were the reason why people were losing their jobs or losing their income. So I was like, if anyone owes anyone money, the government owes us our money. Even if it is at the end of the day, I'm just giving there's, them money
0: back. There's somewhat of a an argument to be made that if the government is causing everything with the virus and causing the shut, shutdowns, then the people that are being affected by it are the victim. I can I can see that argument in some way. The problem is, yeah. of course, you know we're taking from the victim to, to do it too.
1: So. Yeah, I mean the whole yeah. thing is backwards. Well, in this case, like we didn't even return money; we just printed more. So it's almost right. like a double fu because we just play the currency. E-
0: even to that end, the amount of that last bill that was passed that is actually checks to people is so minuscule. It's it it like was $25 less twenty five million to the Kennedy center, 25 yeah.
1: million to congressional salaries. It's all this other nonsense. on, on the one thing that, that should be yeah, The one thing that should have been as simple as possible. They looked at it and they're like, well, how do I benefit from this? Steve Mnuchin was the one that said it less than a quarter of 1%. I'm sorry, less than a quarter of one fourth of the entire relief bill actually went towards this. Some of it went towards and, and yeah. coronavirus relief, but then stuff went to oh, Congress got the got a raise out of it. Mm-hmm. They got another raise. It's like during this pandemic, you gave yourself a raise.
0: Space Force gets money. I mean, there's not a program that's not getting a ton of money from this. Yeah, a government program or many private programs as well. Uh, the madness never ends, Remzo. Where do you where do you see all this going? Uh, I want to kind of wrap things down here, but what? Uh, I don't know. Why don't maybe give me your predictions on the next six, 12 months. Where do you think, are we going to be sitting here on a podcast, just living it up and working remote jobs in 12 years? Or are we going to be, I don't know. Are we even going to have internet? (laughs) Where's this all going to go?
1: I think Disney's going to own everything.
0: I think you're pretty right. I
1: think we're going to start seeing Disney, Walmart by Disney, right? Food by Disney, toilet paper by Disney. I I genuinely think. of Liberty by By Disney. Disney. The Washington (laughs) times brought to you by by Disney. Disney. (laughs) Like, I I genuinely think Disney is going to do that. I mean, people need to understand this about Disney. They're not really an entertainment company. When you look at how they're trading on the stocks, they're a telecommunications company. Mm -hmm. Disney... And McDonald's, I genuinely think that McDonald's and Disney are going to go at war with each other. over. Yeah, McDonald's is really a real estate company more, more than anything else. Yeah, I, I see McDonald's buying it more real estate. As more stores close, I see McDonald's buying it, even if they don't put a McDonald's in every row at your local strip mall. They're going to own basically everything. I mean, I think this is really one of those moments where it's like the American entrepreneur is on the run the small business owner is going to be uh, an endangered species more so now than ever. And if you were thinking that you could, you know, work a minimum wage job, low skill, and if you just vote the right way, someone's going to save you, you're already doomed. So I don't think things are getting better.
0: McDonald's is kind of evilly geniusly brilliant in how they operate. They buy the most, you know, the best properties you can buy in terms of traffic and then they, give out franchises to people, but they say, by the way, in order to do this franchise, you got to use one of our properties that we own and, you know, lease that for a separate thing. So the franchise is only a small part of it. Really all their money is really from this kind of forcing everyone into buying their, into using their real estate. Absolutely. Which, which I kind of respect in a, in wow, that's a pretty impressive, uh, no
1: one even really realizes it kind of scheme. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting. I'm using my UBI check to get a gun. I'm going to get another one because why not? So I mean, there are some I silver lining. I'm gonna have
0: to put mine on the credit card, I guess.
1: Uh, <laughs> ouch.
0: Well, Remzo, uh, it's been a blast. Why don't you just? Uh, I know you got a lot of stuff to plug. Hopefully, the uh, the Witching Hour series is coming back at some point in some form. I'm sure, at some form, it'll eventually. If it'll, they don't it'll, it'll, it, be it, it'll be out soon. It'll
1: be, on YouTube at least it'll be out soon. I'm hoping that. I'm hoping that maybe it'll be out by around June, but worst case oh. scenario, you might just throw it online. I'm probably saying something that's going to get me in trouble later with the outlets. Like, how, you can't threaten that. It's like, eh, whatever. But uh, yeah, uh, folks, go ahead and follow me on Twitter, Instagram at HeyRemso. Uh, on the Run with Remso W. Martinez, my new show at We Are Libertarians comes out in about a month. So check I out mean, all Look that
0: at anymore. you. See, this is like Disney buying everybody up. Now We Are <laughs> Libertarians is buying up all the podcasters. I'm still waiting for my offer, Chris Bangle.
1: I mean, you know, you got to work with what works, but, uh, yeah. Hey, Remso on all platforms, Mark. Thanks. Don't you. forget the book. Come on. You got oh, to. book. while well, well, so I'm at I, it. Do I have to do all the work for you here? It, it, you know, nobody's, nobody's buying anything anymore, but Hey, if you're bored, we've got has succeed in politics and other forms of devil worship available in uh, print and ebook and the audio is coming out whenever Amazon gets back to me because I have to pray that Amazon will get back to me in time. We've also got the other book, uh, blah, 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 stay away from the libertarians uh, comedic history of the modern libertarian movement post Ron Paul, all that it includes so it a brief discussion of lines of liberty as well. The,
0: the origin, especially in the history books. <laughs> Remzo, thanks a lot, man. Uh, keep up the great work. I know that no matter what happens here, you will be out there, punditing and uh, doing what you do until till the very end.
1: I've got as many jobs as Jamaican. They just keep coming. Take
0: care, Mark. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Remzo. Keep with the great work, man. Keep Bye. on roaring. <laughs> All right, friends. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with that little whippersnapper Remzo W. Martinez. I do want to mention one thing, one extra plug for him. I recently had a nice long chat with Remzo because one other thing he also does as a recently published author, he offers consultations for authors and prospective authors at a very, very reasonable rates. And I don't want to give anything away about my future plans, but let's just say I just had one of those with him, and it was absolutely great, extremely informative. Uh, he's been through so much trying to publish two books on his own that. He's just learned such an incredible amount of information and advice for people looking to write a book. And uh, I'm not saying I am. I'm just saying, well, you can read into it however you want. That's all I will say. But uh, I really enjoy talking to Remzo. I really enjoy doing this live format, hopping on without a real script, uh, without a real plan and just letting things go. So expect to see a lot more of the live stuff. That's why you got to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. We do a bunch of live streams on there now. And of course, if you're a part of the Pride, if you're one of our supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash of liberty. You get access to all bunch of extra live streams we do. Almost every bonus show uh, is included as a live stream to that group. And the perks on our Patreon just keep going up from there. Almost every level at $10 or higher includes some sort of free merchandise. At 25 months or higher, you get to join us for a weekly conference call, our Move FASA level call. We have a blast on that one. We also have our new Nittany level group where once a month, uh, a $50 per month member gets to choose a topic for a show. Uh, Last month that resulted in the wild, wild Ford. 20 show I did with Howie, Karin Bird of Friends Against Government, and Dexter De La Paz of The Gaslight Hour. Uh, What a blast that was, by the way, episode 452, if you missed that one. But the point is, we are always looking for creative ways to provide value to the people that send us money, that support this show, that keep us going, that keep us producing this great content, that enable us to have the ability to host two Libertarian Party presidential debates next week. Again, I'm so excited. This coming Wednesday, May six, eight p.m. Eastern, at facebook.com/slash Lions of Liberty, and then the second debate will be this coming Friday, May eighth, at six p.m. Eastern. Again, live streamed at facebook.com/slash Lions of Liberty. And keep your eyes peeled, keep your ears open. There's a pretty good chance I'll be speaking with Justin Amash sometime next week in one form or another as well. This is all thanks to the Lions of Liberty Pride. This is all thanks to our Patreon and the people that support us and the people that have kept us going and even the people that just tune in and listen and download and continue to encourage us and share the show and leave us those five-star reviews on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. All of that stuff has led us to this point where we're in such a great position to be growing and spreading the ideas of liberty. So I want to thank everyone out there uh, in these tough times who have been supporting us. We actually gained a ton of new uh, Patreon supporters last month uh, in a time where a lot of people are getting hurt financially. So it just means so much uh, that people are willing to chip in And the bonus, the extra double extra bonus is that you also get to help our friends at DonorSea help people around the world with various charities. I'm hoping to report on a few of the specific projects Uh, we're gonna be funding from our April earnings a little bit later this week. So stay tuned for that. I'll try to check in with Gret and provide a little update on some of those projects as well. My friends, it has been an absolute great time. Rest up, get ready for Electric Liberty Land on Wednesday. And of course, Felony Friday on Friday, but you're gonna get a double bonus each of those days If you tune into our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty, you're going to get not one, but two Libertarian Party presidential debates. I am so freaking excited about it. I cannot wait. Until then, my friends. Live long and live free.